Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This is the Fleet Street Fox column for Friday, September the 23rd, 2022. Liz Truss is sending us back to the 80s. The 1880s, that is. I hope you realise this is all your fault, you filthy rabble. You don't work long enough or hard enough. You waste electricity and gas. You're too fat, too sick, too poor, and above all, just too bloody lazy. You talk Britain down, you cause inflation, you just don't get all the complicated maths involved like what they do. And so you'll be beaten into poverty because that will make you want to be richer where all the lovely tax breaks are. And if you want something, you get it. That's how economies work in the teeny tiny minds of those now in Downing Street. From their hard-won, hard-luck stories of being forced to go to good schools and have piano lessons and marry the first person they spoke to at Oxford. Which is why they're slashing benefits for people working part-time. Because it's their own stupid decision not to be at the grindstone 18 hours a day, like what Liz Truss and Quasi Quarting have never done. And their victims definitely aren't part-time because they're ill, recovering, struggling or looking after children or parents or a spouse. It'll push people back to work, they crow, even though the papers in their red boxes make it quite clear the people who could work but aren't are generally over 50, took early retirement because of the pandemic and are wealthy enough to not need the benefits being restricted. As of today, they're even less likely to go back to work because a tax cut for the richest will mean more can retire early. Either the people in government don't read, don't think or don't care. They just say stuff in front of television cameras without ever wondering if they sound like they have BSE. In fact, you could put a confused cow in a near vegetative state on the news and it would moo more sense than any government minister. People can't see their GP, so we'll tell GPs they must see people. Problem solved, bellows Therese Coffey like a wounded bison, unaware that a crocodile has her hind legs and is about to drag her under the waters of the There are no bloody GPs, you great prawn river. And then some bright spark cuts the increase in national insurance because it's a penny for the workers and doesn't compute. It also leaves health and social care £36 billion in the hole. I mean, honestly, it's like watching Mog try to win Mastermind by simpering at the poor. Only a towering fool would cut stamp duty, a tax you pay on buying a home, at the same time as interest rates go up, making it less likely anyone can afford to and say that'll stimulate the housing market. Only a roaring plonker thinks the free school meals they had as children should not be given to today's children. And only Quasi Quarteng could announce tax cuts when the British Social Attitude Survey has just found that 52% of everyone and 46% of his own voters want to pay more tax. 
ask any chancellor in history what they would have done if the voters said they wanted to give the government money. And even Nigel Lawson would say, I'll take that. Thank you very much. Much has been made of Truss's wish to associate herself with Margaret Thatcher. And her attitude is very 80s, lacking only the rah-rah skirt and expensively crimped hair, which will no doubt make an appearance next time she wants to go on the BBC and discuss channel crossings, along with a rendition of Borderline. If that's the case, Truss is 40 years too late. Unlike Thatcher, she can't blame the last Labour government, which some voters won't even remember. She can't privatise national assets we don't own, dash for North Sea gas we haven't got, or sell off council houses we didn't build. She's trying to build the 80s boom out of bankers' bonuses they won't spend in this country, fracking for gas that isn't economically viable, and building on Greenbelt land, which, not five minutes ago, she was saying shouldn't even have solar panels on. And we all know how the 80s boom ended. The 90s bust, recession, cutbacks, and the new Labour supremacy. But if you take a step back and look at the whole picture, even in the 1980s, trust would seem out of place. There are no new ideas. There's no thirst for change in her government. Just the same thoughts that have been circulating around the Tory plug hole for decades and been proved wrong time and again. There is only one world where bankers were allowed to make dangerous bubbles of money, while the poorest were told to spend more wisely. Where inflation and climate and war coincided with poverty and poor education to create an underclass suffering malnutrition, despair and undirected rage. And that world is nearer the 1880s, the decade when industry created immense wealth for a few and consigned millions to disease-ridden slums. Wealthy Victorians did such a good job of convincing themselves the poor were undeserving that when Jack the Ripper murdered sleeping, homeless, drink-dependent women in Whitechapel, the whole world believed they were prostitutes who had chosen a lifestyle that made their deaths inevitable. No one chooses to be poor. No one who's broke works part-time if they can help it. No doctor turns the sick away unless they're sickening themselves. The ones talking Britain down are those who talk crap at the expense of taking note. They're the ones who are breaking the bank and starting the riots. Listen to this lot and the country's going down the pan quicker than a late-night donner at the bus stop. That's the real problem with trussonomics. It's the economics of the workhouse from the point of view of the beadle. Beat the poor, starve them, and that'll solve their moral flaws which cause poverty. Except the fundamental problem is what trickles down is at best a trickle and at worst it stinks. What causes poverty is bad ideas every damn time. They present you with sums and don't show they're working. They start the fire of inflation and say they'll put it out with a petrol of income tax cuts. And there's no way this madness can last. The only question is... Which of us gets eaten first? There's only one audio column this week because of the Queen's funeral. So here is a golden oldie from another budget. This one written on March the 18th, 2015, at the start of, or at the end rather, of the Lib Dem and Tory coalition and the start of the Tory supremacy. What didn't George Osborne tell you in the budget? You can waste a lot of time talking about what George Osborne said in his budget speech. Britain is paying its way in the world today. 
Why can I hear the Cheers theme tune? Choose the future. Who'd seriously choose something else? The jobless claimant count is the lowest since 1975. Because they're all in work or because you've stopped them claiming in the first place? As long as you talk about what he said, you won't get anywhere. His logic is so circular that it's like going down a rabbit hole and you'll never get out of it if you go in there without a torch. It's far better to steer clear of his logic altogether and instead look at all the things he didn't say. And my, what a lot of stuff there was. He talked about a northern powerhouse, which would be a great thing if he was serious enough about it. He'd started work on it in 2010. Sadly, he left it until six weeks before a general election and threw in a promise of better rail links, all of which would come after the monstrous HS2 rail link, which is sucking £50 billion out of the coffers already. He talked about a lucky fall in the oil price and then announced a 10% tax cut to North Sea oil producers. If you listened to him, you'd think this was all marvellous. But the truth is, the drop in oil price is devastating jobs in Scotland and the subsidy will cost us £1.3 billion. He said he was selling off £9 billion of shares in Lloyd's, getting back the taxpayers' money which Labour had so recklessly bailed them out with. Yet, if the bailout hadn't happened, it'd be like Lord of the Flies out there and those Lloyd's shares had finally started paying dividends. We were making money out of the bailout and now he's stopped it. It'll be said he's done something for first-time buyers by promising a new ISA that will add £50 to every £200 people save for a home. Except giving people money to buy homes without building new homes just pushes up the price of the existing homes, thus making the ISA redundant very quickly and benefiting older homeowners far more than first-time buyers. He announced all under-21s will be taken out of national insurance, but most don't qualify anyway, being either in education or not earning enough. He said there were more jobs created in Yorkshire than all of France, but employment fell in France, so anywhere with one new job could say the same. In short, if you drill through all the slightly skewy things George said, down to the rich seam of motivation running underneath it, he told 16 million people to get stuffed. That's how many people could have voted in 2010 but didn't, and doesn't include the 7.5 million who aren't registered at all. After an hour on his feet, George Osborne gave them no reason to do different in 2015. Single parents, ethnic minorities, the disillusioned, the poorly paid students, the disabled, who in many cases don't even get wheelchair access at polling stations, you can go hang. The budget was for people who vote and vote regularly. It was for pensioners and homeowners and business people. It was for those who already have a mortgage, two cars and three children, not those who want them. It was for those who want tax relief on their savings, not people who don't have a hope of saving anything. It was for those who'll see help to buy a house and not do the simple maths that actually he's made house prices rise. It did nothing about the bedroom tax, tuition fees, people who rely on food banks, those on in-work benefits, the disabled who want to work and find themselves sanctioned for being too ill to go for a job that's inappropriate anyway. Fundamentally, it was a budget for people who are comfortable enough they don't need to bother with maths. If you're one of those who counts every penny and therefore know the price of a pint of milk, a cold that keeps you off work or a new tyre for the car, maths is important enough you can see his sums don't add up. They just go round and round and round. A never-ending equation of if you vote, we'll persuade you to vote again. And if you don't, we don't care. And the net result, after inflation and in real terms, is that those who don't or cannot vote get turned further away from doing so. The narrower and shallower the electorate becomes, the more George Osborne's logic is accepted and the more people disengage from politics. 
It's catch-22, because the only way to engage people is to make policies for them, but they won't make policies for anyone who's not engaged. It's depressing and disgusting, and that's why the budget today was nothing but a series of bad sums used as bribes to the few who are wealthy enough not to care. But one thing he said was true. You can choose the future you live in. You can choose Osborne's rabbit hole, or you can choose to vote and show him you exist and that you matter. The more of the millions he doesn't care about who get up on their hind legs and walk or crawl to vote, the more he and future chancellors will have to notice you. If you sit at home, they'll only notice what you cost, and then they'll cut it without asking, if you mind. You can register to vote up until April the 20th. It doesn't cost anything or incur a tax. If you're studying, disabled, renting or worried, sign up and make your mark. If you don't, you're telling George he can carry on ignoring you. Don't let him.